It's, uh, it's so good to have you all here. Um, I don't know, it's, uh, it's a crazy world out there, and it really is a joy to be with you and, and to know that there are people who really do want to seek the Lord, um, that we can gather together and be um, close to each other and to hear what God has to say and, and to, yeah, to be um, doing life together. So thank you for being here, and, and it is just... It's a joy to have you. Uh, as you know, we've uh, been like a little uh, stopgap series. We're just uh, we're, we're looking into the Psalms and seeing uh, the way that Israel worshipped. And it's weird because as we, as we look at the way that Israel worshipped, using Israel's hymn book, that's what the Psalms really are, uh, we see how dramatically different it is from what we do here um, from week to week. And, and I've been suggesting that part of what's going on is that, you know, there, there's reasons why we do what we do, but, but in, in our haste to, to do what we do, we've lost a lot. We've lost, we've left behind a lot of things that were core, that were real to Israel's worship. And I've been saying we, uh, it would be great to find ways to bring those things back. Um, because they really do speak to deep human needs that God set in our hearts. Ways that God wants us to relate to Him. That we, uh, sometimes, have, uh, have, have left by the wayside. Uh, today, we're going to be um, looking at, uh, at, at what uh, the Bible, what the Psalms think uh, about uh, the, a good prayer. Not a good prayer, uh, but a good prayer. Uh, somebody uh, who is the right kind of person to pray to God. Uh, now, I don't want to mess with your head. Last week, we did say you can cry out to God from anywhere. Uh, we talked about uh, dark worship, worshiping from a place of darkness. That's real. That's true. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good thing. If you missed it, uh, check it out on the website. Uh, you can watch or listen to it because it's valuable. It's important for us to know that we can come to God in whatever state we are. But if you look at the Psalms and you look at any time someone's asking God for something, there are some, there's, there's, a, there's something that's similar about these things. And it, it turns out that the Bible does assume that there's a certain kind of person that God's looking for to, to ask him for stuff. And so uh, this, we're going to just look at Psalm 26 today. But this is really, it's a, the pattern is throughout the Psalms. Uh, you, can, you can find it in just about any Psalm where the psalmist uh, asks for something. This is a Psalm of David. Uh, this is uh, something that uh, David uh, wrote. And, and, and there are Psalms that are by him and not by him. But all of them have the same kind of structure. And so we're going to find out what uh, God looks for in a prayer. It says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, Yahweh, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, other people who would go out their own way, nor do I sit or go in with hypocrites. I have hated the gathering of evildoers and will not sit with evil men. I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord that I may pr- proclaim the, uh, with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Yahweh, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place in the congregation's I will bless the Lord. 
you know, notice, uh, as we saw last week, the Psalms don't, you know, they don't run away from, you know, bloodthirstiness and violence. In fact, when you read the Psalms, and really the Old Testament in general, the whole Bible, in fact, it's very realistic about how human life is. And human life is very messy. It's very, uh, very broken. Um, but I thought, I, I'm going to break it down and just to show you the logic behind it. And so I wanted to start with, with the request, okay? So this is a psalm where David needs something from God, okay? And this is what he needs. He says, Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is a sinister scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. Uh, it sounds like, and it's, we're not sure, there's a lot of things that go on in David's life that we can, we can follow, and we don't know where this is placed, but it sounds like he's in a place where some people, probably through money, are trying to get him killed, uh, he's, it sounds like someone, maybe some of his enemies have paid off some people and are trying to end up with, with David's blood on their hands. Uh, we say that, I mean, it says redeem me. Really, uh, that's, that's really, uh, it's redeem like at Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, I, I spent probably, what, 25 years, 30 years without going to Chuck E. Cheese. And I recently, um, went back and it hasn't changed, it's still awful. Uh, it's, so it's Chuck E. Cheese, uh, you're sitting there, you're inundated by loud sounds, screams of children, um, and you're, you just try to block it out the best that you can. Um, and then after a period of about two hours, your children come to you and they drop a whole bunch of tickets on the table, and they say, Father, they don't say that, they, they don't say Father, Father say, they're like, you, slave, go, get me toys. And what's great about Chuck E. Cheese is now they have these machines that count your tickets for you, but uh, if you, they only spit out like one ticket at a time, so when you, it takes like probably 45 minutes sitting there just to put... That's what your job as a, as a dad is at Chuck E. Cheese, is to sit there and redeem the tickets. And as soon as you get them, you get a little uh, you know, a piece of paper that says, oh, you have 12,000 tickets, whatever it is. And you go, and you go to the, the, the front counter, and there uh, are a bunch, bunch of toys that are in, in prison. These toys, they're, they're longing to be set free. And your child is like, Dad, get me that Nerf gun. And you're like, I would like to redeem my tickets for that Nerf gun. I'd like to set that Nerf gun free and into the hands of my child. That's uh, very much, that's exactly what um, this word means. It's just, it's like, it's purchasing. It's ransoming. And literally, it's usually ransom. Ransoming. The idea is that David's in a, in a situation where there's a whole bunch of people who want to kill him. Uh, and, or, and, or he thinks that they do. And so he's like, he's basically behind the glass. He's a, he's a toy imprisoned at Chuck E. Cheese. He's like, God, ransom me. Get me out of here. God, you have unbelievable riches. You can pay off the bribes. You can do whatever it takes. But get me out. I want out of here. Now, I think that's the first thing you're notice too. Is the um, is that right? Yeah, yeah. You don't do praying like this until you've gotten to the point in your life where you're like, God, are you there? Are you really there? Because it seems like if you were paying attention to me, if you, it seems like you were being good to me, right? And it, it seems like you were watching out for me. I wouldn't be in this situation where people are trying to murder me. I wouldn't be in the situation where my enemies are rising up. It seems, God, God, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, clearly you haven't been paying attention to me. Hey, stop ignoring me. I need your help. That's the first thing you know. She said, it seems like he's been ignoring us. That's when we tend to start praying for, you know, it's, it's, it's a human thing. It's like we, we ignore God and ignore God because everything's great. And then as soon as, as soon as things go bad, we're like, God, where have you been? Like, come back. And that's, and that's sort of, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's natural. It's all right. So, so David is, is, is in this place. I'm not saying that God's ever ignoring you. 
I'm just saying it feels like that, and the Psalms are a place where we get to be the way we feel, and it's okay. We can be honest with God, and it seems like God's been off doing whatever he's doing. And we're like, okay. So David's like, okay, God, you've been off traipsing around. I'm in a tough spot. I need you to pay attention to me. So how's he going to get God's uh, attention? Let's uh, go back to the beginning of the psalm. You can see it really clear. He's, he has a very interesting strategy. Okay, His strategy, uh, remember, vindicate me. That's his, his goal. Make me victorious, God. Um, for, I, for, for, do it because of this. Okay, God, I expect that you're going to do right by me because, because, why? I have walked in my integrity. I've trusted you. And then David, he, he gets serious, and this happens a lot in the Psalms. You're going to find it throughout the Psalms. Examine me, Yahweh. Prove me. Try me. Try my mind and heart. I want you, you're up there. I want you to come down, take a look, and peer inside my skull and find out what kind of person I am. Now, that might be a little bit uncomfortable for us if we're used to thinking of ourselves as sinners, right? What's David doing? He's like, God, I'm a decent guy, all right? I'm a good dude. And if you come and check me out, if you look deep inside my heart, you're going to see that. You're going to see that basically I'm a good person of sorts, and we'll flesh that out. And he's like, so if you, if you come and you look at me, then you're going to be inspired to help me. That's kind of his strategy. Now, that's interesting, because that's not the strategy of most uh, prayers in the ancient world. I have, um, I have a picture of uh, Molech here. Molech... Um, that's actually the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew for king is Melech. So Molech is actually a play on that word. This is the God who pretends to be king. And, uh, the God who pretends to be king was a neighboring, uh, was the God of some of Israel's neighbors. And this God, when you wanted Molech's attention, you had to do something serious. Um, and in fact, what was very normal uh, at that time was to find a child and sacrifice the child. To kill the child. Kill a baby. Um, and the, and the idea, the, the logic behind that is Molech's out doing whatever Molech's doing, right? But Molech is a bloodthirsty, mean, nasty god. And he loves to see people get hurt. And so when people wanted his attention, they would do the thing that he loved most. And they would sacrifice a child. And presumably he's going around and he hears or sees this, and he's like, ooh, ooh, I like that. What can I do for you guys? Thanks, that was great. What can I do for you? It was like a little bargain. Um, and it was a sick bargain, uh, but it was a bargain nonetheless. Uh, not all ancient gods were that bloodthirsty. This is uh, Dionysus. Um, Dionysus was the uh, the god of partying. And when uh, you wanted Dionysus' attention, uh, you would uh, gather a group of people, and you would get very, very drunk, and you would begin having sex with each other. Because Dionysus was the god of losing control. And so if you wanted to get his attention, you would do something that appealed to him, that he liked. And so the party god, when he sees people acting this way, he's like, ooh, that's great. What can I do for you fellas? Very interesting. Very interesting that of all the, the ways that people got God's attention, or the God's attention in the ancient world, it's only really Israel that does this, where it says instead of doing something, it's God, there's something about me that makes me worth listening to. That's the next thing in your note sheets. Um, the Psalms assume that getting God's attention depends on character, not actions. When you're trying to get God's attention, you're, you're, you're not saying, God, I'm going to do X, Y, or Z. Instead, you're saying, God, look at me. Look at my integrity. There is something about me that makes me worth paying attention to. 
kind of sounds a little bit so far like what that might be is that I'm a really good person, right? And, and if, you, if you go on in the text, you might even get that sense. So uh, if we go back to the text, I think verse 6, um, I will wash my hands how? In innocence, right? It sounds to our ears like what David's saying is he's like, I'm, I'm pure, God. I'm, I'm, I'm guilt-free. I'm a good guy. Well, if you know anything about David, you know that's not true. I mean, David was, the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. That is true. But he was also a murderer and an adulterer. In his old age, he, um, he was uh, frail. He, he wasn't a very good father or parent. Um, there's a lot going on in David's life where you look at him and you're like, by, the, by normal standards, he's not really a good guy. Like, so imagine that, you know, someone, the leader guy at the church is like, hey, I want you to pay attention to me. I'm going to be your leader guy. Um, I am a murderer. Uh, I do, I have cheated on my wife a few times, but, you know, just, just a little fun and games, you know. Um, and uh, my kids are trying to kill me. You might be a little bit like, oh, I don't know if you're qualified. Yeah, I, I'm not sure you're the kind of person that I want to be um, listening to. And yet, that's the guy who's saying this. I want to suggest to you that when he says, I will wash my hands in innocence, he's not talking about who he is. He's talking about something that's about to happen or it's going to happen. Keep, keep reading. So I will go about your altar, O Lord. Altar. That's in the temple, right? What is he going to do in the temple? So he's going to wash his hands in innocence before going to the altar to do something. What's he going to do? I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of your wondrous works. This is something that's going to happen. After God, after you do right by me, after you help me out and vindicate me and redeem me, I'm going to go, I'm going to wash my hands in innocence to prepare. It's a ritual cleansing is really what it is. So that I can do a sacrifice for you and tell everybody how great you are. What's, 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 the, the thing about David is not that he's innocent or pure or righteous as we think about those words. It's not that. It's something else. What he's saying is he's actually doing a little, uh, he's, he's kind of working, working God a little bit. He's like, he's like, God, here's the deal. I need your help. If you help me, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the temple. I'm going to go to the worship service and get in front of everybody. I'm going to do a big sacrifice for you. I'm going to tell you that you, I'm going to tell them that you bailed me out, that you're the one who's awesome, that you're great. At the very end of the, the psalm, you can see it there. In the congregations, I will bless the Lord. I'm going to go before everybody and tell them how awesome you are. But, 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 only if you help me. I need your help, God. I think we have a picture of David Christian. What a good, what a good army man. You can tell that he's a good army man because uh, he has not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but seven purple hearts. That was in three years of service in Vietnam. He, uh, yeah, he had two silver stars, a bronze star. He was actually discharged, uh, he had a medical discharge when he was 21. So he did all of that from the time that he was 18 to 21. He was a, uh, an army, army ranger, I think, in Vietnam. And then he had a failed run for Senate in 2012, so it wasn't all fun and games. But you look at this guy. Look at this guy. Now, why do we give this dude all these medals? Why are we doing that? Why, why, do, we, why do we say, oh, here, here's another star and this and that? Why are we just 
piling stuff on his chest. Is it because we want him to feel good? Yes. But also, it's so that during the ceremony, all the other guys in the army or whatever are looking at him and they're like, wow, I would like to be honored like that. What would I have to do? How would I have to change? How would I have to become better so that I could be honored and thanked and, 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 and revered the way that he's honored and thanked and revered and adored? There's this uh, deep you know, experience that we have as human beings where we, we, we want people to recognize our greatness. We want to be great and we want to be appreciated for it. Interestingly, this is not limited to us. God's the same way or at least the Psalms assume this, God, God is the same way. He wants people to look at him and recognize how great he is, all the wonderful things that he's done, and he wants to be acknowledged for it because, you know, honestly, he deserves it. And the psalmist, the psalmist assumes that part of, part of getting God's attention and getting God's help is a promise of, God, I'm, I'm going to make sure everyone knows how awesome you are. When was the last time you prayed like that? I mean, do you ever, like, so you're doing whatever it is you do. You're going on in your life, da 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 and then something goes wrong, because that's when we pray. And uh, so something's awful, and you're like, God, I really need your help here. Uh, the athe- no atheists in foxholes. Typically, if you're in a foxhole in combat and you think you're going to die, you pray to God, you're like, God, if you get me out of this, what do you say? I'll go to church every Sunday for the rest of my life. Make it like a bargain with God, something like that. Uh, you'll say, um, I really promise that I'll stop doing X, whatever it is that you think God doesn't like X. That, that's what I'll do, God. That's, that's what you want, right? You want righteousness from me. You want me to be better or whatever. No. In the Psalms, the assumption is not that at all. The assumption is that God wants to be glorified and honored in public for the great stuff that he does. Uh, so do we have the, yeah, the next things in your uh, note sheets? The Psalms assume a, a promise of public thanksgiving is going to help God pay a little more attention to you. Not saying that you can manipulate God. Not saying that this is a guaranteed way to make God do what you want. God's going to do what God's going to do. But from a human perspective, one of the things that we know is that this is something God desires from us. But that still does not answer the question, what's God looking for? What is God? So there's all these people who are crying out to God. It happens all the, every day throughout the world. People are crying out to God. What is it that God's looking for in these people? In us? If we go back uh, to the beginning of the text, I think we can extract, I think we can see it. Examine me, O oh Lord. Check, check me out, God. Uh, and Try my mind, my heart, because, because I expect that you're going to find this. This is what you're going to find when you look at me, when you examine me. Are you going to find that I'm perfect and innocent? No. But this is what you'll find. You'll find that your loving kindness is before my eyes. That word in the New King James, loving kindness, that's uh, their translation of hesed, my favorite Hebrew word. It's the word that means loyal love. It means faithful, committed, relentless love. David's saying, look, I may not be great, but here's something I can tell you, God. If you look inside me, you will recognize that all my life, all my days, I am focused on how relentless and faithful and never give up your love is. I know you to be faithful. And then guess what, God? In response, 
I have walked, it says in your truth in New King James, really I have walked in faithfulness or fidelity. I have acted likewise. God, there's all these things that you're doing. There's all these things out there. But the thing that I've always set before my mind is your hesed, your loyal love. And, and, and not only have I, have I set it before my eyes, I have lived it. I have been faithful to you back, God. It, notice what I haven't done. I've not sat, sat with idolatrous mortals. The word uh, there uh, that we get um, t- turns into idolatry is um, the word also that's in Ecclesiastes for vanity or nothingness, hevel. Um, it, it's 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 the 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 other gods, the Molex and the and the Dionyses and the Asheroths who, who live in the world who are nothing. They're fake gods. But here's the deal: most people, most people on Sunday they come to to, to worship and they worship Yahweh, and on Monday they start praying to Molech because they're covering their bases, and on Tuesday they're asking Dionysus to help them have an awesome party, and on Wednesday they're going to the Asheroth pole and hoping that the the fertility god or goddesses will uh, make them fertile. Every single day of the week is a different God because they want to cover all the bases, make sure that they don't miss anybody. But God, I haven't been like that. And then the nor will I go in with hypocrites, the same deal. It's people who are like, yes, I believe in Yahweh. And then the next day they're like, Molech, Baal, Asherah, help me out. I've never seen the Godfather um, but is that next to the Godfather? Yeah. The Dawn. Actually, I think I've seen it, but I was bored, and so I didn't pay much attention. It's like, well, movies in the 70s were just awful. They're, nobody really figured out how to make a movie. It's all about, well, okay, 1977 is A New Hope. Then 1979 is the first Alien. But really, 1980, 1980 was when people started to figure out how to make decent movies. And before that, it's just utter garbage. Um, so I have seen a number of mafia gangster movies and I love them I don't know anything about the real mafia but if it's anything like the movies uh, it, it, what I love about it is that, is that the story is basically it's not about the, the, uh, the bad stuff that the mobsters are doing Okay, that's not the story uh, uh, the story is not even really I mean sometimes in a, in, a, in a way it's not even really about the FBI chasing them the story in a good mob film is all about um, which of the Godfather's, um, you know, made men or helpers or assistants or whether, whatever is going to turn on him. That's that's what all the great mafia stories are about. Because the the Godfather, he's you know, he's doing all the stuff that he's doing. He's and he's he's making he's taking care of all of the made men and their families and all this stuff. And 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 but he knows he's paranoid because he knows that that one of his lieutenants is out there, you know, snitching to the cops. He's not sure which one, but he knows he's got to figure it out because, because the one thing that can train rack everything for him is, is that one guy who's, who's, you know, who's turned, who's betrayed him. And what you find if you watch a lot of gangster movies, a lot of mafia movies, those types of movies, is that you find that a good godfather, he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't care if you're smart. I mean, that helps. He doesn't care if you're particularly courageous. Although that's good too, you know, because apparently you're going to get in gunfights or whatever. He, he doesn't care if you're particularly threatening, although that's helpful if you want to, you know, extort money from people. But what he cares about, the one thing that is absolutely 100% non-negotiable is all the way loyalty. 
What the Godfather is looking for is people who will not feather their bed somewhere else. And a guy like Corleone, is that his name, Corleone? Michael Corleone? One of the Corleones, I think. I mean, if he finds out that you're, you know, you're going to take a long walk off a short pier. You're going to sleep with the fishes. Right? Now, good, good news, uh, the real Godfather is not like that, but, um, but that's... But, but the, the, the similarity is real. What God is looking for and what David is saying, hey, look at me. Guess what? Of, I, I know I'm a bad guy. I know I've done a lot of things wrong. But here's one thing you can take to the bank, God. I have been loyal to you. I haven't been looking elsewhere for my needs to get met, for my desires to be met. And it has always been you. I haven't been the best. I haven't been perfect. But I have always been about you and nobody else. No, that's, that's the next thing on the, on the note sheets. The Godfather doesn't look for perfection. He looks for loyalty. Well, what does that mean? I mean, for most of us, uh, very few people nowadays, um, well, believe in God at all. But if you do believe in God, uh, chances are you believe in, you know, the Christian God. Right? And you would say, you would, you would think of other gods as like, eh, who cares? They're not real, they're imaginary, they're fake, whatever. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like loyalty to God really actually is a problem for us. Right? It, it seems as though if you're, I mean, we just by default are kind of loyal to God because there is no other God, right? Wrong! You know what we're loyal to? Physics, business plans, mommy blogs. Why are there no daddy blogs? <laughs> Trying to be father of the year, I'm like clicking through. I'm like, no, no, no. Where's the guy who like spends all his time like showing all the other dads how much fun he's having with his kids and making them feel bad? Where's that guy? Where's that guy? I can't find him. What does that say? I'm, is that sexist? I'm not sure, but it's something. Interesting, though. Interesting. Um, what I mean by, by, by physics and business plans and mommy blogs is that, so you're going through your normal day, right? Here at church, um, if you're here, that's awesome. You're spending one day where you're like, oh, I love God. And maybe you, you're, if you're thinking about things like, you know, your eternal destiny, uh, you know, your, the, the sin in your life, some, some of these intangible things, you're like, oh, yeah. I, I go right to Yahweh and Jesus. That's, that's what I do, 100%. But when I leave this place and I have to deal with, like, you know, the real world, the normal stuff, that's when I go to the experts. And we have experts for everything. Um, if you want to uh, make sure that your business is super profitable, uh, there are steps that you can go through by following a book or a, a plan that you get at your, ma- your master's program or whatever. And if you do that right, then your business will prosper. If you want to, um, if you want to get uh, a guy on Mars to bring, you saw The Martian with Matt Damon. Great movie. He's like, he's like trapped on Mars. I can't remember how. Like, there's a storm or something. Everyone leaves him. Anyway, so he's, start, he's start trapped on Mars, and he's there for like a year. And, they, and NASA finds a way to bring him back. I love that movie uh, because because I'm, I'm sitting there waiting for someone to be like, "Dear God, bring him home." That never happens. Instead, they're like. Did we do the math right? Did, did we get the thrusters properly adjusted? You know, how, how much oxygen does he have? How can we make sure that he's able to grow more potatoes? 
everything that they do is built on the notion that God's just, I don't know, he may be a part of things, maybe not, but he's mostly just off away. If we really want to save Matt Damon, and he's good looking, so we definitely do, then what we're going to do is we're going to use science and math to save him, to bring him home. And if we want our kids to grow up and not be terrible, we don't go, God, make my kids not terrible. We, we go to the mommy blog, and we see, see what she's up to, and you're like, dude, I don't have time to take my kids to the park every single day. But that's the only way to do it. That's the only way to save my kids. You go to the expert, and there's a plan, and you follow it, and, and, and then you're good. And here's the, the, the awful truth. You ready for the awful truth? What we have found in the last 150 to 300 years, depending on how you want to parse it out, is that you can live your life. Everyone can live their life, for the most part, as if God is not there. And you can still get most of the stuff that you want and achieve most of the things that you want to achieve. Those business plans work. The physics checks out. The professional mommies are super good at mommying. And so, whether we know it or not, we are deeply tempted to be idolaters. We are deeply tempted to leave God out of most of the stuff in our lives. And so when we actually get into a jam, one that we, we can't control with a business plan or a mommy blog or physics and science and math, when we finally get into that place, you know, you've been diagnosed with cancer, um, you know, uh, all, the, all the things that we can't control in this life. When we get to those places, we cry out like, God, help! I wonder what God's like when he's like, you know, I love you, so I'll probably help you because I love you. But isn't it weird that you only come to me when you've exhausted all of your other options? What would it look like to become loyal to God in our context, in our lives? What would that actually look like? Um, I have a, a learning to be loyal. I have a, a picture here that I help, think will help. This is a picture of a dog spooning a cat. I love this picture uh, because it pretty much captures the difference between dogs and cats. The dog is like, I love you. You're part of my pack. I just want to snuggle you all the time. The cat's looking around being like, if this starts to bother me, I'm going to tear your throat out. <laughs> look, at, look at how mad that cat is. Like... I, I, is there anybody here who's a cat person? Anyone here who has a cat? Yeah. <laughs> Just euthanize that thing. <laughs> like, they're basically little miniature tigers. Like, at any moment, those things are going to try to kill you. Like, you, <laughs> the cat, the cat, the only, here's the deal. When you're feeding a dog, it's like you're feeding the dog, and the dog's like, oh, thank you, I love you. You did it, oh boy. You're feeding a cat, and the cat's like, good job. You know, if you stop doing that, I'll kill your family. Don't think I won't. 
I'm joking, but you know, not, not really. Definitely cats are awful. But think about, think, I mean, in terms, so this is a theological truth. We're going to go ahead and say that God prefers dogs to cats today. <laughs> Don't take me seriously, okay? It's just, a, it's just like a, it's an object lesson. I think cats are awesome. As long as they've been declawed, which is also illegal now. You can't declaw your cats. It's like we can spay and neuter, but we can't take the, the sharp blades away from the, the treacherous, evil animal. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, the, 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 the idea is this, like a cat, cat people, people who are, and, and I, I want to suggest that we're all pretty much cat people, not in the sense that we like cats, but in the sense that, that we see the world in, in similar ways to the way that cats see the world, where we, um, we're just, we're basically mercenaries. It's like we go where the bread gets buttered, and then if it gets buttered somewhere else, we move on, and we just, and, 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 you know, the cat has, like, a family and a master, but the, the family and the master, it's like, eh, I, I like you for the most part, um, but when I need other things, I'm going to go other places. Compared to uh, the dog, who's like, I love you. I need you. You're the only one who can feed me. When anyone else feeds me, it really comes from you. You're the best. Uh, our dog's three and a half pounds. And, uh, and, <laughs> and our, our dog hates our kids. And with good reason. Our kids are awful. And, uh, and they try to abuse the dog as much as possible. And I am, I'm shocked at the fact that my dog has not once just torn their faces off. Like, she's, she's terrified, she's angry, she's growling, but she never, never, because they're part of her pack, and she loves them. Contrast with my, uh, with Aaron's sister's uh, daughter, who likes to torture her cat, and dude, she's got the scars to prove it. <laughs> dude, every time I see that girl, I'm like, oh, do you mess with Griffey again? Cool. Maybe just leave him alone. I, I, the idea is this. A dog just wants to be with you, right? Just wants to be there. Okay, uh, just wants you to be involved in everything that the dog does. Okay, that's that's the defining characteristic of a dog. The the worst thing you can do with a dog is just leave them alone, right? Dogs just want to be with you, uh, and and God is actually kind of the same way. God understands that physics will help you get that guy off Mars, but He wants to be a part of it. He wants to be involved. He wants you to invite him to be a part of every part of your life. God understands that your business plan is going to be effective if it's done right and you get a little lucky. God gets that, okay? But God wants to be involved. He wants to be a part of it. He wants to be a part of your thinking and, and, and envisioning, and, and, and he just wants to be there. He wants you to be like a faithful puppy who's like, God, I just want you to be a part of everything that I do. I just want you to be with me. I know that I could probably get away with it without you, but I want you there. I want you to be in everything that I do. When, when David, um, when, he, when, he, uh, when he calls out to God, he's like, look, I'm not perfect. But man, I love you. And I don't stray. I'm faithful. I stick with you no matter what. I don't, I don't go to, to anything else. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I leave it in your hands, God. I ask you to be the one who's, who's 
with me and, and, and working through and, and, and working on my circumstances. I want you to be a part of everything that I do. God, pay attention to me. I've been faithful. And I know that that's what you're like. You're faithful and relentless and you don't quit and your love is loyal. Mine's the same way. I'm like you in that way. Help me out. I think um, for us now, you know, if you're, if you're new to faith uh, and faith isn't like a huge part of your life, I think the invitation is to say, hey, just invite God in in just one place in your life. Say, God, I want you to be a part of this. And I don't know necessarily what that looks like, but um, I want you to be a part. And you can pray and talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about that. If you're a long time, you're hardcore church, um, I think what you, you got to watch out for is complacency. You know, church is Sunday, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's physics. I'm all for physics. I'm all for science. I'm all for math. But I'm also for God being a part of everything we do. And so as you are navigating life and you have the great plans and whatnot, invite God to be a part of those things. Pray to him and say, God, be with me in this. Show me new things in this. I I trust you to work things out in this. The Godfather. He doesn't ask you to be perfect. He just asks you to be loyal. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, um, we ask you to stir up in our hearts a recognition of your loyalty to us, the way that you've been faithful to provide, to save, to care, to walk with us. God, I ask that we would be people who would respond in kind, and though we are not perfect, though we fail sometimes terribly, that our hearts will always be with you that we will invite you to be a part of every part of our lives. Not just Sundays, not just spiritual things, but everything, the the children, the work, the family life. That God, when we cry out to you, that we can say honestly, as David said, hey, look, I've been faithful. God, we thank you for your, your loyal love and pray that we will merit as a community and as people. In your son's name we pray, amen.